Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Abadisian, the Suburban Shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Hello everyone, I'm Ani Abadisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three part spirit, one part rational mind. Add two drops of optimism, give it all a good hard shake and pour, dress it with the olives of grace and empathy, sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonders of cosmic co-creation. And a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, and hello. Thanks for joining me for yet another round of cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini. The show that tries to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo in today's Apology for an Ascending World. You know, people, I'm sure I'm not the only one aghast, aghast, I tell you, at the level of imbecility on display in our world today. The White Hats, they've given people every opportunity to peek through the gaping holes in the official narrative. And so through these gaping holes, we see that the swamp creatures are clearly visible and that the swamp has been drained just enough to expose those creatures. And those creatures and their filthy habits are now visible, visible. And yet so many peeps refuse to see anything unless the mouth of Sauron, a.k.a. mainstream manipulated media, orders them to do so. Oh, Mr. Frodo, were your efforts in vain? You destroyed the one ring to rule them all, but they came back, the dark ones came back, and they created the one prick to trick them all, and tricked they were. Frankly, I am currently embarrassed to be a member of the human race. Now, I'm sure I'll get over it once I finish this superlative cocktail, but for now, and pretty much every morning, I wake up with a strange feeling in my bowels, a feeling I cannot attribute to metaphysical metamucil. No, it's stranger than that. It's akin to waking up to find oneself in a bad B-rated French movie of the surrealist genre, which has been dubbed into German, captioned by midget Japanese samurai rejects, and distributed by Armenian henchmen working for the Russian mafia. Yes, folks, it's that bad. Well, my darlings, if you're new to this show, hello and welcome. If you are looking for political correctness, Metaphysical Martini is not the show for you. We don't do politically correct on this show because we do not wish to erode our intellect. But we do come from a core of respect. We honor our soul sovereignty. And because on physical realms, our God-given right to freedom over tyranny is something we have to actively affirm and work for, we are pro-Second Amendment. We think, and then we go out and we plink. Today is Wednesday, April 14th, 2021. The resistance to Luciferian statism grows daily as the sociopath corporate overlords of planet Earth find new ways to turn Earth into one giant mascopolis. This morning did not start off well in my household. Uh, one of us received an email from an old friend back in the Midwest asking us to read an article that this person was featured in, in the local rag. And in this article, this person talks about how disappointing it was to have to wait for home delivery of the medical experiment death jab. And this person had to wait because people are having severe adverse reactions to the medical experiment death jab. And this 
the waiting annoyed our friend because even though people are having these adverse reactions up to and including dropping down dead, he felt that as a senior citizen, being allowed to participate in social activities was more important than worrying about dropping down dead on the spot. Oh my goodness! Well, how sad is that? And what saddens me most, I think, is how many times each day I hear that same line of thought, that same same line of insane anti-logic. People say to me, "Ani, I know it's the mark of the beast, but my daughter won't let me see my grandchildren until I get the shot." Arnie, I know it might kill me, but my family are angry with me for not getting it because I can't go on holiday with them. They are putting so much pressure on me at work to get it, and that pressure has now turned into open harassment. And every day I get a, some sort of version of this story, and it pains me and it hurts me. This level of coercion and pressure, this brainwashing, this mind. Effery, really, people, really, are you actually participating in this madness? How have people, not all, of course, but a huge chunk, how have they not yet figured out that one, there is no pandemic because there is no spike in mortality. Pandemic means you die of all the things you normally die from. And then millions of other people die of this new thing. Has that happened? No, it has not. No pandemic, no spike in mortality. Number two, there is a patent for this contagion, which means it was made by man and therefore unleashed by man. Don't believe me? Look up the Purbright Institute in Surrey, United Kingdom, and you will find it. Number three, it is easily treated by simple and inexpensive medications. All of which were magically banned when Trump promoted them, and these inexpensive, efficacious medications have an almost 100% success rate for something, by the way, that has a 99.8% success rate of a recovery, even if you don't treat it. Number four: Why do you need to be vaccinated against something that poses no significant threat? Number five. The whole thing is a massive psyops illusion in preparation for new world takeover. How could you not have figured this out, my darlings? How could you not have connected the dots? It's just crazy what's going on. The manufacturers of the grossly misrepresented product posing as a vaccine accept no liability whatsoever for adverse effects, up to and including mortal death. Mortal death, people. It sounds very serious to me. Is this not a red flag? Or perhaps it's a cucumber sandwich. The manufacturers of this grossly misrepresented product, posing as a vaccine, openly state their product will not prevent you from catching the bug, or from spreading the bug, but annual and perhaps quarterly booster shots may be required. In order to continue not protecting you from the contagion they created in the first place, is this not a red flag, or perhaps it's a tin of sardines? So they openly admit they are conning you, and they got away with it. So now they can continue conning and mocking you with the proposal of a vaccine passport. Yes, folks, your corporate overlords. Having admitted right to your faces that their vaccine, not a vaccine, is pretty much useless and will not protect you, they have decided that since you could not see through their most obvious deception, you will accept anything they say as truth, and no red flags necessary from this point on. Whatever they say, you will just do it. And they're saying, or they're pushing the idea, you may not rejoin society as large as you once knew it until you accept the mark of the beast. The vaccine, which is not a vaccine, and have stamped proof of your allegiance to the lords of apathy, blind obedience, and convenience. Is this where we're at now on planet Earth?
manifestations of divine consciousness bending the knee? How obvious? I wonder how obvious does it have to be that this has nothing to do with keeping us safe and everything about controlling us and turning us into mindless automatons? How small-minded, uninterested, and frozen in fear does one have to be to listen to just one news channel and to take their offerings and only their offerings as gospel? And yet people are lining up for it. It blows the mind. How did the human race become so devoid of common sense? Well, I know the answer to that, of course. It's media control and controlled media, information controlled, the engineering of our perception. Constant distraction from all that is pertinent to a spirit-centered functional life and endless encouragement to worship the shiny. And oh, we do love the shiny, don't we? I, for one, must remind myself daily that physical realms are playgrounds for spiritual alignment. We are in the matrix. Many programs are run within the matrix. Which one will we choose as our primary realm of experience and which ones? Having identified them as constructs of evil, will we overwrite? Well, peeps, choose wisely. I don't mind admitting I've had some moments of late. Some moments, you know, when you have a moment. I took some time off to grieve, to grieve primarily the erosion of intellect, of values, of common sense, of common decency. I had to grieve mankind's immediate compliance with corporate overlords' instructions and their absolute acquiescence to evil at the very first hurdle, which was, by the way, no masks, no service. And I grieve. And as I grieve, I regroup. And I remind myself of who I am and what I came down to do. I center myself and I ask myself, self, how does supreme cosmic intelligence wish me to serve humanity today? And I smile and I sip my most excellent cocktail and I carry on. And I'm going to have a sip of this excellent cocktail right now. Mm, not bad at all. Well, service to humanity. Mm. I say that's a good place to start. Do we strive to become better versions of ourselves each day? I'm sure I do. I mean, the striving. Do we go to bed each night asking ourselves what we did that day to contribute to the betterment of mankind? I know I do. I do the asking. And I also know that most nights I'm a tad disappointed in myself. But and I have a pretty good size, but I do ask the question and I prayerfully contemplate the answer. So here we are all regrouped. And on today's show, we have quack, as we always do, questions, answers and comments. The reason we started this show in the first place. And we're also going to have a touch of the cryptic mystic where we have our way with someone dead who liked to pray. And if that wasn't enough, we have a little pat of poetry, hopefully, weird facts, the recipe for today's cocktail and anything else I can fit into one hour that will leave you confused, yet strangely empowered or maybe just confused. I don't want to be an overachiever here. So, my darlings, let's get on with it then. Quack, quack, questions, answers, comments. Folks, if you would like to share the contents of your luminescent minds on this illuminating and occasionally irritating show, send your missives to arnie at arnieavidician.com or via snail mail to Cosmic Arnie, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon, 97070, USA. And please let me know if and how you wish to be identified, or I will refer to you as omit personal details. Alrighty, let me shake up the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity. Shaky, 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 and see what pops up. All right, let's do this one. This one is from Omit Personal Details. Who asks, Arnie, have you performed energy work on anyone who has had the vaccine? 
If so, what did you see? I have read accounts from various Reiki-type people from America and from Europe. And to be honest, other than telling us they are disturbed, it seems they are having trouble describing, articulating their experiences in any detail. Okay, Omit, I have to confess, yes, I have. I've seen seven people, uh, two more on the books for next week. Five had both of the shots and two had one shot. And one called me for energy work simply to regroup after the shot with no immediate noticeable side effects. And the others called because they were experiencing significant emotional side effects and only minor physical side effects. Not those dreadful rashes and weirdness um, that you see all over, you know, wherever you see them. So let me just say next week, I'm going to chat with a software engineer to describe to him what I see so that he can help me choose my words wisely so that I can better explain. I can explain this as clearly as possible to as many people as possible. Until then, let me keep it short and I will summarize my experiences because I have picked this letter out of the fishbowl and I have to answer it now. Mm, Where to begin? Energy work is a simple process to illuminate the soul, which in turn refreshes the original divine blueprints of perfection, also known as the optimal physical health templates and the optimal energy health templates. That's um, that's all it is. It's comparable to a disc cleanup, a defragmentation and a nice reboot as you would perform on your computer. The bugs, the error codes, any virus you may have picked up, all of those are eliminated or overwritten as appropriate, and the original divine slash cosmic codes are reaffirmed. So 50,000 mile tune up, nice and fresh, and off you go on your merry way to mess up your energy body all over again. Now, when the new vaccine, not a vaccine, is introduced into the body, It appears to me as a new program, as new software. And this is disturbing. Now, I have seen this before, by the way, but not for a while and not at this level of interference and not since working on projects I was obliged to sign hard confidentiality agreements on. Any type of vaccine, it will make an alteration to the system. But this is something completely different. This new software is not interested in allowing the original divine slash cosmic program to reassert itself, the entire point of energy work. So if I translate that in common terms, um, it attempts to sever the connection with the original server, which is source energy. In addition, There seems to be a great deal of empty space on this software. And as someone who is not computer savvy, I can only assume that the only reason you would install something and leave room in it would be because you intend to fill up that space somehow, sometime with something in the future. And such a shame, is it not, that the people with this installation have no idea what this empty space will be used for. That's what I'm seeing without overcomplicated things. I'm not going to do a blow by blow chakra account because this is the bigger picture. We are in experimental mode. And the peeps of planet Earth are allowing themselves to be used as rodents in a giant lab. Thank you for the question, Omit. I'm sure I will have more to report in the coming days. But given that it is such a sensitive and amazingly important subject, I want to uh, check my language and I want to make sure that I can explain this as properly as possible. Okay, let's pick another question from the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity. And this is uh, from Glenn in Oakland, who sent me a clip from a Turkish television show Actually, this clip was sent to me many 
sent to me by many people, including my partner. Um, and Glenn and many others have asked for my take on this. So I'll explain. Um, the clip he sent is probably making the rounds on social media and aired on nonsensical platforms. It should be quite easy to find. Uh, and I think if you Google uh, something along the lines of uh, Evergreen Secret Operation plus Turkish Television, it should come up. So this reporter, Jeffrey Pritchett, took this video from, and I don't speak German, but it, I think it's Die Welt der Betrogenen Menschenkinder, the truth about the secret operation. Evergreen is reported on Turkish television, and they say it's the biggest blow the deep state has ever suffered. So the chap being interviewed on this video, on this Turkish video, which is a, a there's an English subtitle, thank God. Um, so this is the video of the ship, the ever given ship that was turned sideways, blocked canal traffic in the Suez Canal for days. He says it had on board technology that Bill Gates was going to use to destroy farmland. Now, why would he do that? I mean, Gates. Well, we do know he has bought up millions of acres of land all over the world. And as he does this, he is promoting the notion that we should not eat real meat and instead eat the toxic fake meat he has no doubt a hand in creating and distributing. So controlling the food supply is the ultimate tried and trusted way to control the masses, isn't it? If we connect some dots here, because we do make the mistake of thinking this is all random events, but we need someone to put them together and go, this is not random. So if we connect some dots here, it makes sense that Gates would buy up farmland to control food supply and perhaps destroy farmland to make it unusable, especially if he wants humans to eat processed toxic fake food, as he, with his depopulation by death jab agenda, seeks to dehumanize humans and breed a new race of transhuman automatons. None of that um, is far-fetched to me. I know this type of language is a bridge too far for some people, for most people, apparently. But it is actually the truth. It's the Agenda 21, 2030 end of days game plan, which we've been warning you all about for decades. But so many people have dismissed it. Back to this Turkish chap on the video. He believes that, that the technology on the container ships is of a type to be used with attuned to 5G technology. And we know about the nefarious intentions for 5G, don't we? So somehow or another, he believes that technology that he says has been three decades in the making was on this container ship and Bill Gates was going to use it to somehow destroy the farmland so that it wouldn't be arable and we would all have to eat his fake food. Well, thanks to Glenn and to everyone for bringing this video to our attention Interesting to me, I don't dismiss it as people are saying, well, there's children on it. It's possible. I mean, even in, by the way, even in air conditioned containers, there's only so long you can keep human beings in these things. They do have to eat and poop and eventually a container gets rather toxic. So technology makes a lot of sense to me. I'd also say that, um, you know, that ship blocked traffic for a long time. And whenever the black hats don't get their way, whenever they suffer a setback, we should all watch out for an illusionary surge in COVID cases and more lockdowns. And that's been happening, isn't it, in pockets here or there? You know, these people will never back down. We have to take them down. All right. Let's see. Let's take another question. Um, I'm looking at chat here and people are saying that this software has been wiped clean. No, love, it has not been wiped clean. That's why people are having all these reactions to it. Um, there is a free will component. They may have done, or the aliens or whatever you want to call them, our star brothers, may have done whatever they can to alleviate some of the symptoms. But there would be no point in letting people take it if it was going to be wiped clean somehow or another. We have to see what's going on. Life is about karmic cycles and accepting the consequences of our actions. Um, so, no, from what I'm seeing, the software is not wiped clean. 
it's very much active. And I think we're going to have a bit of a zombie apocalypse in the years to come. All right, one more question uh, or more from uh, the fishbowl. This is from Sandy back in the UK. Back, uh, and she's from Stains Upon Thames in Surrey, who says, Dear Arnie, please watch your vowels. You have lost control of your vowels. This is vowels, people with a V, since moving to America. You should make up your mind which way to go. Perhaps you could spend more time listening to the BBC News. This will remind you of the proper order of things. You show potential. If you wish to pursue radio professionally, you must address this problem. Oh, my God, how do I respond to this? Sandy, have I lost control of my vowels? Darling, my mortification is fathomless. How could that have happened? Is it data or is it data? Is it anti or is it anti? Is it aluminium or is it aluminum? Sandy, get a grip, my love, and don't be such a snob. I have lived just over half my years in America and my vowels and my bowels are bound to explore beyond their boundaries. It's just the way it goes, love. But I am happy to know that you think I show potential and may have a crack at professional radio. Woohoo! And I promise, Sandy, should that happen, I will standardize my vowels. Well, toodle pips, old girl, and have a jolly nice day. All right. Woo! I've got one other little question here I'd like to read because it's something that's on everyone's mind. All right. Um, Ani. I have problems with prosperity consciousness. Don't we all love? I have read many books on it, and one way or the other, it just doesn't seem to work for me. I can't seem to manifest enough money to live the life I want to live. Do you have any tips for me? Right. Look, it's a problem for all of us. A couple of recommendations. Um, one of them is there is a really good book, and it's an older book. It's called Spiritual Economics. It's written by Eric Butterworth of the Unity School of Christianity people. That's really lovely. Um, but the other thing is a little exercise that I do. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, this is something that Abraham talks about. You get yourself a little money log, just a journal, all right? And every day you put an amount in it. This is how it goes. You start off by pretending you have $1,000 to spend. And you have to spend every single penny of that that day. And generally, that's not difficult. Once you've paid your utilities and your credit card minimums and uh, got yourself a hamburger and a beer, that's usually gone, right? But the next day, you put $2,000. And you have to spend every single penny of that. And you can't just make stuff up. If you want to have a pair of shoes, you have to go to the website, see how much those pairs of shoes, that pair of shoes will cost you and put down that amount. So by the end of the day, you have to spend all of that $2,000. The next day, you put $3,000 in your ledger and you have to spend all of that. The next day, $4,000. The next day, $5,000. By the time you've reached the end of a month, you have got yourself trained that all this money really is coming in. And you are spending it like crazy and you will get to a point that you will have tricked your IRL life um, into believing what your illusionary life has created for you, which is, of course, how the entire cosmos was formed. Give that a month. It's a lot of money. Two months, three months, four months. By about the fifth month, you have so much money. You're, you're putting people through school. You're writing scholarships. You're paying bills for all the people in your neighborhood. It's a wonderful and very simple way of inviting prosperity consciousness in your life. All things have to start as a manageable idea in your head. That's why we start with just one thousand dollars. Um, and then just let that be your reality. And then your alternate reality becomes your reality, your primary reality. So try that. And when you make a lot of money, um, I could use sponsorship. So send some my way. All right. Thank you very much. 
that's it for questions and answers. Let me sip my little cocktail here. Mm. That is an interesting, very pleasant mix. All right. What should we do next? I think what we'll do is the cryptic mystic, where we have our way with someone dead who liked to pray. And today's pick is the famous and possibly infamous Madame Blavatsky. Dun, 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 dun. Now, what do we know about this old gal and why should we care? A great many peeps think that this Blavatsky was an outside fraudster, you know, an outright fraudster. I don't think so. I think she had sixth sense and she had a keen sense of exploration. And along the journey, like most people, she will have made some embellishments and, um, you know, where she deemed necessary. So let's give an overview of Madame Blavatsky's life and work. She was born Helena Petrovna Blavatsky, uh, 1831, died 1891. One of the founders of the Theosophical Society. And to all concerned, she was quite a gal. I mean, quite a remarkable gal. She made an impact on people. And she certainly made a great impact on uh, the thought process of spiritualism for the Western world. She was quite controversial in her own way because she did have sixth sense. And even as a child, she was able to show this to people. She was forthright. She was outspoken. She she didn't like hypocrisy and bigotry. And she called it out. So she was probably quite heavy handed, (laughs) like somebody else we know. Mention no names, Arnie. Um, so when we look to her body of work, we can't help but realize what an impact she's had in spreading metaphysical knowledge through her literary work to the Western world. She was born of a noble family in Russia, um, you know, did a lot of little psychic phenomena initially, I suppose, as entertainment, but then it was acknowledged that she really did had a skill. And they do say she wasn't interested in her powers to show off. But what happened is she was suddenly, well, she became a student of metaphysics, of the law, of the stories, of its history. And she was able to travel, probably, her, you know, being a Russian noble, she probably had a bit of money with the families there. And she traveled all over the place, including Tibet, in search of what we all search for, of course, this mysterious hidden knowledge. And uh, she traveled on her own. I mean, I think she may have had companions here or there. But for a woman in the 19th century to travel alone, that was really something. Somewhere in the 1870s, she came to New York and she met up with a chap called Colonel Olcott and another chap called William Judge and a few others. And they were all like minded and they formed this theater. Theosophical Society, circa 1875. Now, 1878, Blavatsky became an American citizen, the first Russian woman ever to do so. Shortly after that, she and this Colonel Olcott, they moved to India. 1882, they established the headquarters of the Theosophical Society somewhere near Madras. And this remains the international headquarters for that society, which is now, believe it or not, established in 70 countries all over the world. 1885, Blavatsky went to Europe. She settled in London. And that's where she completed what is considered her magnum opus, the secret doctrine. Now, a lot of the knowledge in this book um, was derived from Eastern teachers with whom she came into, you know, she came into touch with, with when she was doing all of her Tibetan travels, travels and all of her Eastern travels. I would really recommend that you read that book because I don't think everything they say about her being a fraud and fakery is true. She really sought out this knowledge and she has a lot of extensive knowledge on the philosophies and the religions of the world, the wisdom of the East, um, She brought it all together, all of it, symbolism, metaphysics, esoteric philosophy. And what I like, of course, is that she said, talked about how to apply these things practically to our lives. We're all very big on the practical application of these things. 
She was a prolific writer. She also wrote a lot of magazine and newspaper articles on a variety of subjects. Um, and those articles were put together in a, it was not a book, it's 15 volumes and it's fully indexed. It's called Her Collected Writings. So her first major book was called Isis Unveiled. That was two volumes. And it created an absolute sensation in New York when it was published, 1877. The first edition sold a thousand copies, sold out in two days. Within seven months, they had three printings that had been issued. Um, and you may have heard of it under a different name, A Master Key to the Mysteries of Ancient and Modern Science. So she collected all the ancient wisdom and uh, basically told us all, look, you've bypassed all of this. Um, what else can I tell you about Madame Blavatsky? I, I really recommend you read The Secret Doctrine book. That appeared in 1888 in two large volumes. And the first volume is concerned with the study of the origin and development of the universe. And the second with the study and the origins of the development of humanity. And it continues her stories and her unraveling in greater detail of the themes set forth in her first book, Isis Unveiled. You know, the synthesis of science, religion and philosophy. So she made it clear, of course, that the secret doctrine was not written as some sort of revelation, but rather a collection of different stories that had been scattered throughout thousands of volumes embodying all of the scriptures of Asia and pre-Christian European religions, philosophies. Um, she was, she, I believe she rejected this. Um, she didn't want people to take her work as some sort of amazing doctrine and this was it. She wanted to present all of this work that she herself had collated from many different sources so that they would start their own journey on metaphysics and their own inward journey. With the secret doctrine, it outlines the bigger picture of evolution relating to the universe, to humanity, to the world seen and unseen, to the world's manifest and not manifest, and all the thousands of difference of life forms that we have. It's based on three fundamental ideas that um, there is an omnipresent, eternal, boundless and immutable principle on which all speculation is impossible since it transcends the power of human conception and could only be dwarfed by any human expression. It is beyond the range and reach of thought. Number two, that the eternity of the universe in total as a boundless plane, periodically the playground of numberless universes incessantly manifesting and disappearing. And the fundamental identity of all souls with the universal oversoul, the latter being itself an aspect of the unknown root and the obligatory pilgrimage for every soul, a spark of the former through the cycles of incarnation in accordance with cyclical and karmic law. So all of these principles that we take for granted today in metaphysical teachings, new age teachings, if you want to call them that, she was the one that really put them together for us and brought them forth. So we do owe her quite a debt. Um, if we ask where the secret doctrine is based on, there is an archaic manuscript called the Book of Dan. It's actually spelt D-Z-Y-A-N. And the secret doctrine is an interpretation of the stanzas of the Book of Dan. Not very easy to understand necessarily, but it requires one to ponder and travel, which is where the true enlightenment and alignment comes into being. Now, people say, what is theosophy? Well, that's a good question, since she's a theosophist. I think the definition of theosophy will just go with the traditional one. Any of a number of philosophies maintaining that a knowledge of God may be achieved through spiritual ecstasy, direct intuition, or special individual relations, especially the movement founded in 1875 as a Theosophical Society by Helena Blavatsky and Henry Steele Olcott. So she has many other works as well, and uh, go check them out. It's a lovely little journey. You know, she's quite eloquent. 
You would think, well, she was Russian-born, she didn't write well in English, but that's not true. Um, one of her other books, The Voice of Silence, that's been published in many editions, um, it's treasured for its poetic imagery and its spiritual power. And I do enjoy reading it. I'm going to give you a few quotes from it. And again, these quotes, they're not supposed to be taken as truths, rather as jumping off points for your own metaphysical journey. Let not the fierce sun dry one tear of pain before thyself has wiped it from the sufferer's eye. Here's one of my favorites. Mind is like a mirror. It gathers dust while it reflects. It needs the gentle breezes of soul wisdom to brush away the dust of our illusions. Here's another one. So kindly acts, and thou shalt reap their fruition. Inaction in a deed of mercy becomes an action in a deadly sin. I have pinned that one to my um, office window so that I can look at it every day. Primarily because people call me up and go, why are you so virulent about this virus? Why do you keep telling people all the things that you are telling them when you're supposed to be all love and light as a shaman? That is not what a shaman does. If I see a problem and I see people hurting themselves when it's unnecessary, how do I serve them if I'm all unicorns and fluffy bunnies and squirrels with pouches full of nuts and rainbows? No, I don't want my inaction to be a deadly sin. The very least I can do is point it out. And if people don't want to hear, they step back. Well, another one of my favorite Blavatsky, Blavatsky quotes, step out from sunlight into shade to make more room for others. Yeah, well, I guess we could all do a little bit better than that. All things considered with uh, Madame Blavatsky, I would say she did indeed devote her life to the service of humanity, to bringing the wisdom, the ancient wisdom, into our awareness, into the awareness of her contemporaries. And that divine wisdom that she called theosophy inspires compassion for the sufferings of our fellow human beings and a practical altruism that seeks not merely to alleviate the symptoms of misery, but to remove its cause. And these are her words, I think, not mine. Ignorance of our fundamental unity with all other beings. That's the problem, isn't it? Helena Petrovna Blavatsky. I think her entire life was dedicated to that, to ensuring that we understood that we are fundamentally all one soul and that we were aware of all of the ancient teachings that were available to us and that we could put them in some sort of practical application. So it's not just airy-fairy, lovely words and well-worn platitudes, but true wisdom that we could use in our day-to-day -day life to make our world a better place. And that, my darlings, is all we're trying to do. That's all we're trying to do. All right, let's have another little sip of this drinky poo. It's very nice, my cocktail today, by the way. It has peaches in it. Mm. I wish they were Georgia peaches. They'd be a lot sweeter. All right, what should we do next? I know what. Let's do... <laughs> Tarot, a go-go, a little what-the-heck with our favorite tarot deck. Today's pick, I think, is the Four of Wands. I'm using the Robin Wood deck for now. It's a very pretty deck. You can use your own, but don't use anything too weird. I think it's the Four of Wands because I missed the live presentation of Metaphysical Martini last time around. Yep, I'm pretty sure it's the Four of Wands. All right, let's take a look at that, people. 
The Four of Wands. Oh, it's a nice card. It's a happy card. A gentleman and a lady. They're dancing under a canopy on a raised platform. The canopy is supported by four lovely ones with colored crystal tips. And we see beams of light radiating from the, the crystal tips. And there's a lovely spring floral garment garland. Did I say garment? What did I say? A lovely spring floral garland wrapped around the platform. And in the background, gentle rolling hills in various shades of green. What simple pastoral pleasures. The good life. Simplicity. Fresh air. And a bit of dancing. So let's just let the card transmit impressions to us. Don't be one of those people that runs to your tarot book and says, oh, this card means this. That's not the way it works. Cards have to live with you, grow with you. You have to make friends with the people in the cards. Let them talk to you. So what other impressions does this card conjure up for me? Hmm. I have a feeling of ancient days, days of old, that this would represent a feast day, a much needed day of rest from hard agricultural labor, a bit of a party, a pint of the good stuff and a lovely hot pie. A chance for men and women to get together and, you know, maybe have a little bit of a smooch. I feel a sense of achievement when I hold this card. Not laurel leaves and major things, but I feel I completed a task to the standard required. Maybe I closed the sale. I feel I finished the project and I deserve this celebration. The harvest is in. Whatever the product is, your harvest is in. Yeah, I'm feeling good about this. Two people dancing. How do they look together? They look happy together. So it's a good partnership. It's either romantic or not. I mean, it doesn't have to be romantic just because it's a man and a woman. It could be business. So much of business is a dance anyway, isn't it? Now, sometimes this card comes up when we're house hunting, when we're looking to lay down roots. It could also be a card of courting, possibly leading to marriage. All in all, it is a very satisfying card. I feel pleased with the way things are going. I did well. My partner did well. My team did well. Things are developing. I'm seeing the initial fruits of my labors. And I feel with this card, I deserve a vacation before I start my next venture. Now, that's a lovely feel good thing. But what could it mean if we pick the card in the reversed position? So let's take a deep breath and let's turn the card upside down. And let's take a look at it and see what it transmits to us. So, of course, if you have this card in a spread, the surrounding cards will help you form a story. But on its own, just on its own, what am I feeling? And I want to take a couple of minutes with this. You don't want to rush things. We're not very good at trusting our first impressions, are we? So let's take some breaths and look at this card. Hmm. Well, initially, it doesn't feel too bad. Perhaps things are still going well, even in the reverse position, but maybe we haven't completed our project. Perhaps it's still a work in progress. Maybe there'll be a delay or two, maybe, but nothing too disruptive. And I feel I've laid a firm enough foundation. I think things are going to go well. Now, if you pick this card and if your pick relates to an important social event, perhaps a wedding reception, it could mean you won't get value for service with the caterer you have chosen. It could be something that mundane, because after all, when we pick cards, we want advice about our lives as they are today. 
But I can also see, looking at this card in the reverse position, where this could represent narrow-mindedness, even intolerance, refusing perhaps to feel happy for someone else, for some petty ego-driven reason. I can see how this could mean someone with a tight heart, someone who refuses to unclench and release the love. And I can see how this could be ending a relationship, any type of relationship, and probably for all the wrong reasons. So I'm going to turn it back up again. The four of wands. All in all, a very happy card. And of course, wands are um, fire sign, inspiration, magic from divine source, creative visualization, wonderful, all of the ideas that you get before formulating and carrying out your project. All right. Well, that's it for Tarot A Go Go. Oh, I should just mention that I still am offering my tarot special for people who want to learn tarot. There are two specials. There's a $500 one, which if you go to the website, it'll give you the details where you can have 12 90-minute sessions with me, and that's a little bit more intensive. But if all you want is a little casual direction, I'm offering 10 60-minute sessions for $200, which is a ridiculously low price. And that's for people who want to know how to use the tarot properly, but don't want to sweat it and don't really want to do a lot of homework. And that, I'm learning, is quite the majority of people. So have some fun. Sign up for my tarot special. And we can do that via Zoom or via, via Skype. And the sessions are recorded and sent to you so you can review them. All right, my darlings, where are we now? Um, I think we, yeah, we're, we've got some time. We do have some time. I think it might be time to look at some weird and wacky history. I like to look at these strange little wacky tidbits before I go to bed so that I don't have strange things on my mind. So just for fun, hey, let's take a look at some weird history and a couple from American history. And this is about Paul Revere's ride. And I'm going to read from um, the script here. The reality of what we think Paul Revere's ride was is simply untrue. Apparently, he never shouted, the British are coming, in part because the citizens of Massachusetts still considered themselves British and they would have been confused. They say instead he shouted, the regulars are coming out, the regulars are coming out. Furthermore, I'm told Revere never made it to Concord. He was captured and interrogated en route to Lexington and then forced to walk to the city to give his first, his first official warning. Although word still got to Concord because Revere didn't ride alone. He was part of a network of roughly 40 riders. So why do we have this romantic vision of him and what he did? Well, because we do love a bit of romance, don't we? And propaganda has happened throughout the ages, man, from pre-Sumerian times. We always want to romanticize something. 1860, Henry Wordsworth Longfellow, he was apparently concerned about the rising partisan unrest and all the political conflicts. Conflicts. So he, he wanted to write a poem that presented a heroic, unified version of America. And so he did this image of the lone rider with a message of warning. And the poem was such a success that it became truth. I mean, for years, children learnt it in school, so the myth became the reality. Huh. Something else about the American colonial war I, uh, I picked up here. Oh, yeah, let me read this for you. Despite one or two moments of guerrilla-style tactical brilliance, the Continental Army fought largely as European-style armies of the day had clashed. They faced each other in ranks and essentially took turns firing at their opponents while the ranks inched closer and closer. And this was because the type of smoothbore muskets used at the time could be loaded relatively quickly. However, they were not accurate, meaning it was most effective to have them fire as part of a giant cluster. So that's a myth that we defeated 
Britain, which I believe was probably the greatest army at the time, by using nothing but undercover cloak and dagger spirings and little guerrilla tactics. The Continental Army fought just as any other army fought. I mean, there were probably a few daring and thrilling exploits. Of course, you know, I mean, Hamilton striking Yorktown and uh, Lexington and Concord and all of that. And that makes for great reading and it makes for great solidifying and patriotism. But the truth is that those wonderful little skirmishes, those were the exception, not the rule. And most military engagements during the clash were decidedly conventional. Well, how boring, but never mind. Because you know what? We did throw the British out. And here we are today trying to throw the deep state out. Okay, let's uh, rally round those smooth-bore muskets, lads. And I've got a little weird thing here from uh, royal weird history. Princess of Bavaria, Princess Alexandra, was apparently convinced she swallowed a glass grand piano. Is this the result of inbreeding, do you think? It says here, as the 23-year-old Princess of Bavaria, Alexandra became convinced she had swallowed an entire glass grand piano as a child and that any sudden movement would shatter the instrument. She was said to walk sideways through doorways and corridors to avoid breaking. And although the princess's delusion has become part of her quirky reputation, scholars speculate she suffered from something Robert Burton calls the glass delusion in his psychological study, the Anatomy of Melancholy in 1612. Very interesting because I think that she is not the only royal to have thought that she was made of glass or she had glass inside her. Charles VI of France, he didn't think he'd swallowed any fragile instruments or anything, but he believed his body to be as fragile as glass and that was it was very, very breakable. Very interesting, that, isn't it? And one more little thing here uh, with, uh, with strange royals. Prince Philip died recently, and I do believe he died. I don't believe he died a year ago and all of this other stuff. I mean, I could be wrong. I'm just sharing my point of view. I think the actual real Prince Philip died of old age. He was 99. But what is a quirk for that, what, what makes it weird history, is he's the first old person to die of old age ever since we started this COVID shamdemic. Everybody else has died of COVID. He actually died of old age. Congratulations, Philip. I know you're part of the Illuminati, but you do have a soul spark as we do all. So may the divine rest and illuminate your soul. And if you do reform, please do something to help us come to our senses here. All right, my darlings, what is going on? I think we're getting close to the end. So very shortly, after I have a little sippy poo of this thingy poo here, my drinky poo, just a minute. Mm. Oh, my God, just one more, one more so I can finish it. Oh, mm. that is absolutely delicious, actually. Now that I've gone down to the bottom of it and smushed it all up. I'm going to say, my darlings, I think that's it for today. I finished my drink and that always means the end of the show. And I do hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed recording it, even though my vowels were not very good, apparently, because I always enjoy this. I have a blast and I'm honored, absolutely honored that you would take time out to join me. Now, here we get to my favorite bit. Today's real life cocktail is a Georgia peach bourbon smash. And here's how you make it. Two ounces of bourbon. One tablespoon, sorry, one teaspoon, don't do tablespoon, one teaspoon lemon juice, one ounce of simple syrup, three slices of sun-ripened juicy peach, and a splash of club soda or seltzer water. Here's how I do it. I fill a glass with crushed ice. Then I combine whiskey, lemon juice, and simple syrup in a cocktail shaker. I shakey, 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 and then I strain it into the glass. I top it up with a splash of seltzer and I garnish with peach splice, peach slices, say that, peach slices and a little bit of mint. Um, and in fact, sometimes if I have a ripe peach, I will muddle it in the glass with the ice 
before pouring the rest of the ingredients on top. And you put that little sprig of mint on top as a as a garnish, and it's absolutely delicious. The peaches in Oregon are not ripe right now, so I'm using frozen from last year. But if you can get a sun-ripened peach and a really good quality bourbon for this, it's fantastic. Now, remember, folks, cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat. If you use top quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously, one drink is all you need. I'm Arnie Abedissian. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, let the spirit inhabit the human. You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini Show with Ani Abedisian, the suburban shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Music